welcome back. I'm Kat. And I'm April. And And you're listening to the Getaway Car Podcast. Today we are heading north to Salt Lake City and are detailing a brutal murder and a most determined detective who pursued justice for nearly two decades. Today we are diving into the 1995 murderous story of Crystal Beslanowicz. When the body of a naked murdered woman is discovered by a river, a tenacious investigator is determined to pursue justice, even if it takes decades. On the morning of December 16, 1995, in Wasatch County, Utah, a local rancher and his son were hunting when they came upon the ultimate horror, the body of a young woman. The woman with whom they found, Crystal, was lying on top of a large area of rocks along the Provo River, in which she was covered head to toe in blood. The rancher immediately proceeded to call the county sheriff's department. Detective Todd Bonner was one of the first investigators to arrive on scene. Observations were made that the woman's skull was crushed. Assumptions were made that her skull had been crushed by one of the many rocks found surrounding her body. With that being said, many rocks were collected as potential evidence in case of a murder weapon discovery. There was little to no evidence found at the scene and no telling who the woman was or how she was murdered. Further investigation was put into effect and the autopsy of Crystal Beslanowicz determined that her cause of death was indeed blunt force trauma. Along with that, it was determined that she had likely been killed approximately 10 to 12 hours prior to when her body was found. This would mean that her time of death took place on Friday, December 15th on or around 9 p.m. This would mean that her time of death took place on Friday, December 15th, on or around 9 p.m. Originally, she was classified as a Jane Doe. The identifications that would later help investigators identify her was a ring on her finger and three tattoos on her body, a number six on her left hand, a series of arrows on her upper left arm, and two interlocking hearts with the name Chris above her left breast. Sketches of said identifiers were released to the public in hopes that it would help them determine her identification. Now things are about to get a little confusing, but I promise we will make sense of everything, so just listen closely. About an hour north of where Jane Doe's body was found in Salt Lake City, a man by the name of Chris was searching for his girlfriend, Tracy Beslanowicz. Tracy had told her boyfriend around 2 a.m. on Friday, December 15th, that she was going to walk the Circle K down a few blocks from the motel where they were living in the past five months since moving to Utah and get some food. It seemed as though this was a regular occurrence for Tracy. Instead of calling the police, he knocked on the neighboring doors of the motel they lived at and also walked to the Circle K to see if she was there. Sunday rolled around, and after seeing news report and descriptions of a Jane Doe and the familiar-looking tattoos, Chris reached out to authorities claiming that he thought Jane Doe was his girlfriend Tracy Beslanowicz. 
Police obtained a phone number for Tracy's father and proceeded to contact him to inform him of this horrific news regarding his daughter. After a short conversation, Tracy's father assured the authorities that the woman was not, in fact, his daughter, Tracy. She was alive and well, but was likely his stepdaughter, Crystal, who had a history of using her stepsister, Tracy's identity, as her own. Okay, so hopefully this clears up any confusion around the names. Crystal Beslanowicz was their drain... Their drain Joe. (laughs) Okay. So hopefully this clears up any confusion around the names. Crystal Beslanowicz was their Jane Doe, not Tracy. Crystal, 17 years old at the time, had grown up in Spokane, Washington. Her dream was to someday be a writer. However, her future halted when she began spending a majority of her time with a rough crowd in junior high school. At just 12 years old, she was involved in drug use and prostitution. She had several run-ins with the police and was even arrested for theft, prostitution, assault, and drugs. One thing led to another in Crystal's life, and she eventually dropped out of high school and fled with her boyfriend, Chris, to Salt Lake City, Utah. Her goal in moving was for a supposed fresh start. Sadly, that was not the case. Crystal quickly became involved in sex work again. But this time around, she used her stepsister's identity, Tracy, so that she could appear older because Tracy was 20 years old. Let's fast forward. Crystal's boyfriend, Chris, quickly rose to the top of the police suspect list. Police believed Chris deliberately lied about Crystal's true identity and that he may have been procuring sex work for her. Along with that, he lied about her whereabouts saying she had gone out for food when really she had gone out to work. If he was lying about Crystal's real name and her whereabouts, what else could he be lying about? Chris was at the top of the suspect list. However, he lacked the motive and also the means to murder Crystal. Crystal was the breadwinner in the relationship and Chris was financially dependent on her. Also, Chris didn't have a car. How was he supposed to murder Crystal nearly 45 minutes south of where they lived? Chris told police that he had lied to protect Crystal. Not only was she underage, but Chris was scared that if police knew she was a sex worker, they wouldn't be motivated to find out what happened to her. Oh, I just have to say really quick with that, I feel like that actually makes a little bit of sense. Don't you agree? Yeah, especially at the time. Not that it's necessarily better now. I just feel like maybe sex work is not as taboo Mm -hmm. just with all of the platforms and everything we have today. But at the time, I'm sure it was scary because they were going to be like, she put herself in this situation. She chose to live this lifestyle. Like, yeah, it still happens to this day. They're like more like high risk victims. Yeah. So, it's just sad that he felt the need to lie to the police because he thought they wouldn't care about his girlfriend dying if he didn't. Chris was ruled out as far as a suspect goes, and therefore police moved on to other potential leads. Over 30 people were interviewed in connection to Crystal's case. These included fellow sex workers. Three days later, police learned about a local taxi driver, Herb Fry. <laughs> what kind of name is that? Herb Fry? Like, you want some fries with that herb? <laughs> you want some herb with those fries? <laughs> like, that has to be a fake name. 
Yeah, right? <laughs> so anyways, Herb Fry, who was infatuated with Crystal. Herb Fry... <laughs> I cannot take his name seriously. Herb Fry told several people that if he can't have her, Crystal, nobody can. Herb Fry (laughs) instantly became suspect number two. However, there was absolutely no forensic evidence linking Herb to the murder of Crystal Beslanowicz. Police even explored the idea of a potential connection between the murder of Crystal and that of Melissa Griggs, who was also a sex worker, who was murdered in Salt Lake City only a few weeks prior. This, however, led them to nothing other than another dead end. The lead investigator on Crystal's case, Detective Bonner, worked tirelessly on her case for two whole years, traveling up and down the state of Utah searching for any leads. Sadly, for years, the only evidence was that of a foreign male's DNA on the rock that most likely killed Crystal. In the 90s, the use of DNA, or CODIS, which is the software used to identify DNA in criminal cases, was still fairly new. And since the DNA was not a match to any of the current suspects, the police were fresh out of options. Then, a nightmare for any case happened. The case went cold. Crystal's case was reopened in 2006 when new DNA technology became available. All the while, there was no breakthrough in the case until the year of 2013, 18 years following Crystal's murder. In 2013, a new forensic tool was invented known as a microbial vacuum or otherwise known as the MVAC system, which was a DNA extraction tool. To provide further detail, this device was originally created as a way to collect pathogens from food surfaces to increase safety measures. It quite literally would vacuum up bacteria, or in other words, DNA. It was the MVAC that was used to test the two rocks found near Crystal's body, and when the results came in, there was a full DNA profile. Sheriff Bonner ran the profile through CODIS as previously stated to have been used in years prior when there was not enough DNA and got a match. 46-year-old Joseph Michael Simpson had left his DNA at the scene of the crime. Joseph Simpson was an ex-convict who at the time of Crystal's murder was on parole. In 19. 87, eight years prior to Crystal's murder, Simpson was convicted of second-degree murder in the fatal stabbing of Paul Helminger in Clearfield, Utah. He pled guilty and was sentenced five years to life in prison. A short eight years later, in April of 1995, he was released on parole. And only eight months following his release, Crystal's body was found. Ten years following his release, he was arrested in the state of Nevada on drug-related charges and was sent back to Utah State Prison. He was paroled again three months later. By June 2003, Simpson had completed his parole requirements and was a free man. While this DNA sample gave Sheriff Bonner confirmation that Simpson was indeed the man they had been looking for all these years, Bonner wanted to ensure the case with more DNA so he went ahead looking for Joseph Simpson's whereabouts. Joseph was easy to find simply because he was criminally registered in Sarasota County, Florida. 
He'd been living off and on with his parents there over the years, and records show that he had gone out to Utah at least once during that time frame. Alongside another detective, Bonner flew to Florida, and with help from the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office, they set up some sort of surveillance on Joseph Simpson. August 25th, 2013, rolled around, and they followed Simpson to a smoke shop where he had smoked a cig and discarded it on the property. After leaving, Bonner collected the cigarette butt as DNA and brought it back to Utah for testing. This confirmed the DNA match. Bonner then returned to Sarasota on September 17, 2013, and arrested Joseph Michael Simpson. He then proceeded to make a phone call to Crystal's family, who in turn felt an abundance of relief and emotion. Originally, Simpson was booked into the Sarasota County Jail on an account of suspicion of aggravated murder. Between September 2013 and September 2016, more DNA samples from Simpson were collected for validation of prior DNA. On September 15, 2016, Simpson's trial began. DNA evidence was presented to the jury, providing evidence that Simpson had sex with Crystal and that his DNA was on the rock used to kill her. It was argued that Simpson was also quite familiar with the area in which Crystal's body was discovered, as he was an airport shuttle driver and would regularly drive past the area. If we might add, it was told that Simpson had also made statements to two inmates that he had killed Crystal. All the while, Simpson's attorney waited patiently, and when it was his turn, he argued that the DNA evidence was weak. He put into consideration that Crystal was a sex worker and likely had multiple men's DNA inside of her body. Along with that, he expressed the finer details that there were trace amounts of DNA from other individuals found on the surrounding rocks that were near the crime scene. He argued that Simpson was one of several suspects and that he could not be convicted solely based on DNA samples. After three hours of deliberation, the jury found Joseph Michael Simpson guilty of the murder of Crystal Beslanowicz. On September 30th, 2016, Joseph Michael Simpson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He will spend the rest of his life in the Central Utah Correctional Facility. In 2019, Sheriff Todd Bonner retired after 33 years in law enforcement. If not for his determination and pursuit of advanced DNA technology, Simpson would still be a free man, and Crystal and her family may have never received the justice she deserved. And that's the end of this week's episode, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of our True Crime Podcast. Unfortunately, we won't be back next week, but stay tuned because we will be posting updates about our next true crime story. Make sure you are following us on Instagram at Getaway Car Podcast, where we will be posting pictures and updates on all of the cases we cover.